So some of you may know that uh, if you're, you come from California, which there's a lot of people escaping there and coming here. Um, and, you know, so if you're new to the area or if you've been around the church for any time, if you talk to me, you know, one of the things I want to introduce you or tell you about the good Mexican food joints here in Utah. Right. So I always want to want, want to tell people about that. I love sharing that. Or I'll also talk about how uh, one of the best hikes that you can go on is Silver Lake. It's so relaxing. And, you know, I mean, it's not too hard. So it's great for people like me that want to have a relaxing hike and not going straight uphill and sweating bullets, you know. So Silver, La Silver Lake is relaxing and there's animals. And so, you know, if you're new here, you're coming into Utah. I always tell people about these, these wonderful places because I, I find so much joy from Mexican food and seeing animals on a low-level hike, you know, and I want other people to share in that joy. I want people, you know, if you got something good, you don't want to like hide it yourself. If you watch a really good movie, you want to, you want to tell everybody about the new Top Gun movie, which is, you know, doing quite well. Everybody wants to tell everybody about how great it is uh, when you watch a really good movie. You don't want to keep things to yourself, like my precious, you know, kind of like a golem kind of thing. You want to share good news. You want to share it with others. That's a virtuous thing to do. And so we as Christians, we want it because of those reasons. We also want to share the gospel with others. We want other people to experience the joy and freedom and grace that we have knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, there's nothing better than knowing Jesus in this life, and he loves you no matter what. And you will, if you trust in him, you will spend eternity knowing him better and growing in that. And so naturally, that's why Christians are motivated to share the gospel of God's amazing grace. I say all that but a rather weird, peculiar, strange, generally bad thing has happened uh, to the church in my generation, the millennial generation. So you think I'm picking on millennials, I can do it, I am one, you know. But they, <laughs> they think that evangelizing, almost half of them that are professed Christians, almost 50% of them think that it is wrong to evangelize. Evangelism is bad. I find this, you know, personally, it's quite shocking, sad, and just, just depressing overall. But oh, this, this is what an article says uh, from Barna. It says, almost half of practicing Christian millennials say evangelism is wrong. This is the quote. Despite this, many millennials are unsure about the actual practice of evangelism. Almost half millennials, 47%, that is virtually half, agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that one day they will come to share the same faith. But that's a wrong thing to do. I love how the uh, article sums up this statistic. It says... The data show enormous ambivalence among millennials, in particular, about the calling to share their faith with others. Well, that's about the biggest understatement of the century. That is, it's, you know, they, they're not just ambivalent. They, they think it's bad. They think it's bad to share. And if I'm being honest, I think talking to millennials uh, in, in my, you know, the same age group as me, I, I found that there is this influence of relativism and postmodernism that make them not take the Christian truth claim seriously 
and say, okay, well, yeah, you know, uh, it kind of like, oh, well, any, all religions have truth in them. You know, all religions have value. You know, so you don't need to evangelize it all because you know what? I mean, they're, they're all the same and they're all good. So don't, you don't have to tell people about Jesus, you know, because there's truth in other religions. Don't worry about it. Well, the problem with this is obvious is that Jesus Christ himself makes a very exclusive claim about that he is the only way to know God, to have salvation, right? Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father but through me. That's pretty exclusive. So we want to be following Christ, we have to hold to God's word and these, ex these exclusive truth claims, which we have a lot of evidence for. And a lot of them think like this kind of relativism. Hey, you know, well, it's true for you, but not for me. You know, hey, you know, you, I like Bach, but you like Bon Jovi. Okay, well, you know, you like uh, chocolate ice cream. You know, I like pina colada ice cream, which actually pina colada ice cream is superior, if I'm being honest. But anyways, you know, they have this kind of relativistic, you know, it's, it's whatever you want to do. Funny, they don't apply, uh, apply that to medicine. If you were to apply that to medicine, you're like, oh, here's poison. No, it's actually the cure to cancer. You can't say that's true for me, but not for you. Pretty inconsistent there, isn't it? But the problem is all those other religions, like it can't, they can't all be true. They, they, it can't be true for you, not for me, because they all contradict each other. They teach fundamentally different things about the nature of God and about salvation. So, for, for instance, like uh, only the Christian religion would, would teach that, that, that in God there is one true and living God. And in that God, there are three persons. Centers of consciousness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No other world religion teaches that. The Christian faith teaches the gospel of salvation by grace and faith alone, that we are saved and all of our sins are forgiven by trusting in Jesus. That is how we're made right before a holy God. Only the Christian worldview teaches these things. So all the other religions contradict these two core teachings of Christianity, which means not all religions can be true. Contradictions, I'm sorry, cannot be true. I, would, I mean, if I were to say, yeah, hey, by the way, I'm married and I'm not married, you'd be like, yeah, no, you're lying, you're crazy, or you're, you're just contradicting. That can't be true. Yeah, how can you, you know, I'm the pastor of the church and I'm not the pastor of this church, or God exists and he doesn't exist. I mean, the contradictions we know intuitively can't be true by this very nature. And truth, it excludes falsity. Truth by its very nature is exclusive, by the way. And so, yeah, well, you know, what people will say, though, is like, okay, well, so I, I guess I should evangelize. And now at this point, a lot of millennials will say things like, well, even if it is true, Nate, and it, is, it has this kind of objective, exclusive um, truth, we, we shouldn't tell people about Jesus. We should not do that. We should... We should have lifestyle evangelism. You guys ever heard someone say that lifestyle evangelism? I'm not going to tell anybody about uh, a, a Jesus, and I'm just going to live a really, a really great life. And just people will see, and they'll just say, okay, I'll believe in Jesus kind of thing. They often quote this uh, Francis Assisi quote, preach the gospel at times, use words if necessary. Who's heard that quote? Raise your hand if you heard that quote. This is a pretty popular quote, right? People have heard that quote. So people just run to the bank with this and they said, okay, yeah, well, never going to tell people about Jesus, not going to tell people about the gospel. I should just live a good and moral life and that will preach for itself.
But what we're going to see as we look at the Bible verse by verse in our study, finishing up Romans chapter 10 and 14 and following, that evangelism, according to the Apostle Paul, must always have words. Like there's, there's no sense of silent evangelism. That's not a category in Scripture. Uh, certainly good works can help people see that you're, you, you're, you live differently as a Christian, but, but it always must have words also. And so it is a gospel, the preaching of the gospel that saves people. Looking at our verse-by-verse verse study in Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are you to hear without someone preaching? The idea here is that if, it, if Christ is not, you not read about Christ, it's not proclaimed to you, the message is not given to you, you're not going to know things about the Christian faith. Like, your know, Romans 1 says, all men know God, and they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, right? But you're not going to get, like, you're not going to be, like, walking around in a hike, you know, around Silver Lake. Very beautiful, by the way. I mean, if that doesn't prove God's existence, what does, right? I mean, it's such a beautiful hike. See, I'm, I'm promoting it again. But, you know, you're walking around Silver Lake. Oh, look at that moose. It's so beautiful. The water's perfect and serene. I love Silver Lake. And you're not going to be like, oh, wait a minute. I'm looking at the beautiful lake. Okay, Jesus is going to ride into it. A guy named Jesus is going to ride in a donkey into the first century, he's going to die on a Roman cross just by looking at the stars or looking at Silver Lake. You're not going to draw this. I mean, in order to know about Jesus, it's got to be preached to you. You're not going to get it through like rational reflection and intuition, like, ooh, thinking about mathematical and philosophical theories. Yes, his name is going to be Jesus. For, oh, wait, first century Jerusalem? No, you're not going to know. You have to hear it. It has to be preached to you. And so in order for a person to be saved, the gospel must be objectively preached to them, and they must be respond by receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of all of their sins. So it's always necessary to use words. It's always necessary to use words in evangelism. Now, a non-Christian may not be open to you um, if you live like a, you know, uh, just like an unbeliever, like you don't have any, if there's no life transformation, you're no different from the world, then yeah, I mean, you can use a lot of words and they'll be like, I'm not listening to that guy. That guy is, you know, he's, he's showing up at the bar every night, he's getting drunk and he, you know, is cheating on his wife. And so, you know, you may, the per, that, that's going to ruin your evangelism. Peter, Peter teaches that actually. But yet at the same time, we, the, the words are what I would actually is what God uses to bring a person to, to death, to life, to cause them to be born again and saved, it's not just your lifestyle. You have to do more than that. The gospel must be preached. And you see uh, Peter say in 1 Peter 2, 23-25 that the ordinary means, the ordinary way in which God saves a person, not in every case, but in uh, the ordinary way in which God works is by the preaching of the gospel. He says it like this. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but an imperishable seed. Can't lose your salvation. You have eternal life. Though the living and through the living and abiding word of God. It's through the word of God. For all fle flesh is like grass and all of its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And listen to this part. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. That's the ordinary means in which God saves a person is by preaching. And, it, and so this is, this is not just lifestyle. And it makes sense when you think about it because... Imagine if you were at a you were you were in a tribe on a, on a tribal desert island and you were the weatherman on this 
I'll just go with this for a second, right? This, this tribal island, right? You were the one weatherman on this, on this tribal island, and all of a sudden you figured out that a hurricane's going to come. And, and it's going to be a bad hurricane that's going to wipe everybody out. Very, very dangerous. Maybe a tsunami, whatever. You're able to predict this, right? And you're not going to be like, well, I'm not going to tell anybody about it. I'm just going to be really nice to people. I'm going to be a terrific person. I'm going to be so nice and so wonderful. I'm going to be good enough and smart enough and doggone it. People are really going to like me. And that's how they're going to know about the tsunami coming. That's how they're going to know about the hurricane coming because I'm just such a nice, nice guy. No, that's absurd. You would need to say, hey, let's get off the island. We need to go to safety. There's about to be a major storm coming through. It's going to wipe everybody out. And so, yeah, lifestyle evangelism doesn't work in that context. I mean, in some cases, you do not have time to develop a relationship with somebody if you, for example, meet them on a plane, right? That's sometimes, I mean, I don't think I've had like a long-lasting relationship with someone I'm sitting next to on a plane, right? And usually that's the only time you talk to them and you guys kind of go your separate ways. Or somebody who, for instance, is on their deathbed and you encounter them, you have very little time to tell them about the gospel of grace. So you tell them, you don't, they can't like observe your entire life intuitively. They, you have to use words. It is necessary I love the way Kirk Cameron put it. He says, if you had the cure to cancer, wouldn't you share it? If you have the cure to death, get out there and share it. But you see, people still have this question. And I, it's something I get a lot as a pastor. The youth have asked me this question. College group has asked me this question. Well, okay, the fact that people are saved by the preaching of God's word and by proclaiming God's truth, of God, that it is finished and God has amazing grace on people who trust in him, what about those, those people who have never heard the gospel? What about those, pers those, those persons who never have heard of Jesus Christ? What happens to them? And well, God knows how you would respond to the gospel. He's, he's God. He knows everything. He's sovereign. He knows all it is, all powerful. And he knows whether or not if a person would or would not receive Christ. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if God knows, for instance, that someone would receive the message as you see in the book of Acts, like with Cornelius, if God knows that someone's going to receive the gospel, he sends missionaries. He sends Peter, right? He isn't like, okay, I'm just going to leave you hanging here. It's all good. No, God's not like that. No, God, God knows how you would respond. He prepares the heart and everything. And so so yeah, if God knows a person would respond and, and receive the grace of God, he would send uh, missionaries by his providence. And so, yeah, I mean, but if, if God knows like, hey, these people are going to totally like give me the stiff upper lip. They're going to reject my offers of plea and grace. They're going to totally not receive this gift and they're just going to reject it. Well, God may not send missionaries in that case. He may not, he may not need to because they're going to get the, the gift of God's amazing love and grace and they're just going to reject that gift. They're going to reject the precious son of God. And if you know something, you're, you're held accountable for what you know. And if they know that, and they, and they reject it, they would receive greater condemnation because they are, they are basically rejecting and spitting in God's face for rejecting his offers and pleas of grace. You see, God is always fair and just. He will never punish someone because they weren't at the right time at the right place or because of historical accident. God's not like Steve Martin, a wild and crazy guy, all right? God has standards and he is always just. He is always righteous. And so if God knows a person's never gonna wanna be with them, God basically gives them his gives them their wish. I love the way Greg Greg Bonson puts it. God is fundamentally fair, 
because he has given abundant evidence to all men and their use of science and their use of morality, their understanding of human dignity. God has made himself abundantly clear to all men and God will not, according to the teaching of scripture, send anybody to hell for not knowing better. Now, I realize uh, hell is uh, a difficult topic, a diff difficult doctrine, but it is something the Bible teaches. It is something the Christian church has taught for over 2,000 years. It has been the consistent teaching of Scripture. And the point here is that God never sends a person to hell because they're in the wrong place, the wrong time. Oh, it's just an accident. Oh, you're on the wrong island. When people go to hell, God, you know, when people want to go there, basically, they send themselves in many ways. But when a person wants to reject God, God, God can send a thousand missionaries. God can send two thousand missionaries. They're always going to reject the gift of grace. We have to remember that people will never accept Christ no matter what in some, some cases. Think about Judas. I mean, he saw Jesus do miracles, saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Judas, right? I mean, no one wants to name their kid that name, right? That's, that's like off limits forever, right? Bad name there. But... Judas, I mean, you think about it. This guy saw Jesus, right? This guy saw Jesus do miracles. He, he heard more sermons from Jesus than, than, than people, most, all people in human history. And he rejected Jesus. It's incredible. So now there is a view out there that says that those who never heard are going to heaven no matter what. But no matter what, they're going to go to heaven. And so, but if that is true, then like, why send missionaries? You know, like that. The whole point of the New Testament is sending missionaries to spread and send the gospel of God's amazing grace to tell people about the good news, right? And if they're all going to heaven anyways, it's like, well, I, you know, I'm not putting the church funds towards this. You know, you're like, save you some money. They're all going to heaven anyways. Let's just kind of cut our missionary costs. Let's cut that out of the budget kind of thing. No, you see, the reason why this church supports mission work is because we believe the good news of the gospel needs to be spread and people need to hear that ordinary means and receive Christ and so be saved. So yes, salvation depends on the gospel of God's grace being spread. I like how it's put in Romans 10, 15 here. And how are they to be preached unless they are sent? You have to send them, right? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You might be reading this thinking, like, what's, what's Paul like talking about pretty feet here? This is kind of, kind of weird. Like, why is he talking about the feet? What's, what's going on here, you know? And what, what's, what's going on here is Paul is talking about feet here because, not because he's saying something strange, but because messengers in the first century, like, they didn't have iPhones. They, they, they didn't have, like, emails. They didn't have text messages or anything like that. You know, we live in an age where, like, news happens, and it's like, all of a sudden, I start getting ding-ding-dongs on here, all these little things going on, you know. Oh, you know, this, this news outlet says this or that, and it happens right away. News is instantaneous. News comes to you even when you don't want to even see it. I mean, that's how accessible the news is today. But back then, it was not that way at all. So if you're, if you're in this ancient culture, you're, you're relying on messengers sending information and news, right? So so if one kingdom or, uh, or country is at war with another country and, you know, you're the king, you want to find out who won, or you're one of the, the, the townspeople, you want to find out who won that, won that war, won that battle, you're relying on a messenger. And you can see that messenger far off because, you know, you see how he's walking. Now, if he's just kind of scuffing his feet, kind of like failure pile in a sadness bowl, you know, kind of sad, you know, downtrod, you know it's going to be bad news. 
Them feet are not happy. They're like scuffling sad feet. They're, it's kind of depressing, right? So you know, you know it's, it's going to be bad news. You're, you're, not, you're not getting good news. But a happy messenger is like running all excited, you know. You can see him far off. You know, we won the war. We won the war. And so it's good news coming to you. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah. So that's what he's talking about is that the feet is kind of a representation of the body's whole excitement towards giving good news. And so Paul is saying it's beautiful to see an excited uh, person be excited to share the good news of God's grace. And so that means we're not to bring the gospel out of guilt or legalism. Some people are like, oh boy, gotta, gotta, gotta evangelize now. And you get kind of like, oh, I gotta do this. It's my I'm not a caring, loving Christian. You start getting sweaty hands, you know. You're like, oh boy, here it goes. <laughs> I've actually had a few instances like that when I've gone to like, every time it happens when I get my hair cut, right, I go to uh, sports clips, you know, and sure enough, I get a waiter that's, oh, so why are you here on like a Monday? Why are you not working like everybody else? And then I have to tell them I'm a pastor. And sometimes they get angry at me and my head starts sweating because they get mad. <laughs> It's like I'm never coming back here again, but I do again. So I don't know what's. <laughs> you know? So you know, but yeah, we're not to do it out of guilt or legalism. Not every conversation I have is like that, but you know, you kind of like, oh, I got to share Christ with this person here, you know. And but our attitude should be out of excitement and joy because we have the best news ever to share. We want people to experience this joy that we have, and so the reason many people evangelize and they have trouble with it and they get kind of nervous is because they're focusing on the Christian life more than focusing on the Christ. They're focusing on them being good rather than Jesus being good for them. And so that's, that's a problem in our Christian thinking that we constantly have. You're, you're worried, you know, if you're at the supermarket, you get to have an opportunity to talk about Christ or whatever it is. You're far too focused on you, yourself, and the sins you've committed that day. Because let's face it, we sin every day. Can't be perfect for one day. And I've met people, I've met some people who admit, you know, Nate, I, I just couldn't tell that person about Jesus. I had so many jealous, angry, terrible thoughts all day, as we do every day. I mean, there's no way God could use a person like me to tell somebody else about Christ, you know, or I have this one, or I haven't, had done, I haven't done my daily devotions in two weeks, you know, so I can't tell this person about Jesus, right? I mean, there's no way, you know, uh, and, you know, I've had thoughts like that. We all have thoughts like that. Or I just, I just sinned or I yelled at my wife or I was mean and short with my kids or my family. And so I am like totally not worthy to tell this person about Christ, evangelize this person. And so we have this kind of, we get in this legalistic kind of depressed feed rather than the happy feed thing. And so we get all tensed up, we get all nervous, and we don't want to share the gospel with somebody, even though it, it presents itself as a perfect opportunity. You see, if you're focused on the gospel and you're focused on what Jesus did for you and what he has done and that all those bad thoughts you had all day, that they're all forgiven, they're all cleansed by the blood and righteousness of Jesus, then you will automatically want to tell people about the gospel. It just kind of flows out of you naturally. I always think of the uh, Star Wars like emperor thing, let the hate flow through you kind of thing. Well, you know, don't do that. But, you know, let the grace flow, flow through you kind of thing, right? And so what we do when we, we get evangelistically minded and focus on Christ and his life for us, we are, we are ready to share the gospel in our minds. You say, okay, 
yeah, I haven't, you know, been good today. I've been bad. And, you know, I've skipped my daily devotions for three weeks. But it doesn't matter. I'm forgiven for all of that. I'm so happy and joyful because Jesus loves me and he will not stop loving me. Even though I've done terrible things this week, it is all washed away. It is finished. It is accomplished. I am clothed with the righteousness of Jesus that was received by faith alone. And that, just talking about that. That makes me so happy. It's like, oh, that's such a load off. It's such an amazing thing. And so you're filled with joy and you want to share that joy with others. And you see people that are, you see people who are just so downtrodden and just trapped in a workspace system and just stuck in like legalism. Don't do this, don't do that, you know, and you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, you, and they're just stuck in this religious system to trying to be good enough and they're worried. And I remember talking to one guy in particular. This one gentleman out here, he says, well, you know, I have to, you know, be obedient to be righteous. And I have to say, well, how do you know you've done enough? And he just looks so sad. He's like, I don't know if I've done enough. I don't know if I've done enough good things. And I just, <laughs> I just burst out with joy. I said, well, you don't have to be good enough. Jesus was good enough for you. And it just felt so good saying that, you know, I had no nerves or anything about it. And then, you know, people say, well, you know, I know I just got to do all these things. Nate, I have to work and work and work to be, to be uh, worthy. And I just burst out saying, nope, you don't have to be because Jesus was worthy for you. And if you trust in him by faith and grace alone, you never have to worry about that ever again. And so we just need to be reminded of this and preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again in our heads, and that will help us with evangelism. Evangelism, of course, no matter what, is not easy, and sometimes we do get rejected. Paul speaks of this rejection in the rest of the chapter in more length. But they have not obeyed the gospel. People reject it. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, referring to ancient Israel. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So notice the gospel is good news is called the word of Christ. It is a word about Jesus. It's not a word about Nate. It's not a word about you because you don't save yourself. Jesus saves you. So that is why it is a word about Christ because it's about his perfect life, not yours. You don't have one. His sacrificial death and his resurrection is about him meriting and earning everything for you. That is why it is a word of Christ. So that salvation is by Christ alone. It's not about me striving to be worthy. And this text says, we come to believe our faith grows by the word of Christ. Our, by hearing the preaching of the gospel, that starts our faith and that grows our faith. You cannot replace preaching on Sunday. You cannot replace that with just daily devotions. I've talked to people say, well, I'm not going to go to church today. I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do daily devotions. And I'm cleansed, you know, kind of thing. I'm good. And the, the bottom line is, no, we are sustained by the preaching of the word. When someone preaches to us by the word of God and proclaims that it is finished and all of our sins are forgiven, that if you're a Christian grows your faith. And if you're not a Christian, you've accepted Christ. That's what started your faith is the preaching of the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. I've also heard one person say, you know, I mean, I, you know, I like the mountains and everything, but no, I don't need to go to church. The mountains are my church. Literally, someone said that to me. Okay. But according to, to Paul, here, according to God's word, we need that preached word to grow our faith. I know you might like have a hard day and I feel this way, you know, like sometimes you're like, wow, I, I feel like, um, you know, if I went to Silver Lake, that would be better for my spiritual journey today. If I went to Silver Lake, seeing all those animals and everything is so beautiful. I think that would be better. Now, of course, 
uh, this is my job, so I can't make that decision. Right? That would be bad. You guys are like, where's Pastor Nate? Oh, he took off. He's a silver lake. You know, that would be a bad thing. But no, I mean, you know, people have that thought. They're like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling spiritually out of it. Maybe a hike would be better than going to church. Maybe it would be better, you know. Maybe that would be better for me spiritually, you know. But see, the thing is, is that I am weak. I shouldn't trust my feelings. I am sinful, and I've learned over the years I shouldn't trust my, my feelings. But I should trust the objective word of God outside of me that, that tells me that I grow in my faith hearing the beautiful gospel of God's grace, that that is what grows my faith, that is what sustains my faith, and that's what brings people to faith faith by the preaching of God's word. Romans 10, 18 through 21. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. But I ask, did not Israel understand, or didn't Israel not understand, excuse me? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation, the Gentiles. I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have been showing myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So Paul's point here is the gospel was so magnificently uh, revealed and conveyed to Israel through sacrifices of the law pointing to the person and work of Christ that it was like as abundant as general revelation, as abundant as uh, all the things God created that his, his uh, fingerprint is on that. It's just, it was really clear in Israel that it was pointing to the gospel, pointing to Christ. It was well known. It was well seen. And even though the gospel was well seen and God held out his hand to them, they have rejected them reject rejected him excuse me so just because like god god tried to tried to offer his grace to them and they rejected it and you know we've learned from romans 8 and 9 we've learned about god's sovereignty election and predestination and all of these things and i've said this then th those things do not undermine human responsibility and that does not mean like that, okay, because God's sovereign, that he doesn't offer his grace and love to unbelievers who will ultimately reject him. And when someone rejects the gospel, when someone rejects God in, in Christ, essentially, God isn't like making you do that like a robot or a puppet. You are, by your own nature, freely choosing to do that. And God will hold out his hand, his gospel, and his grace. And at the end, you're the one that rejects it. And God will, will give you what you want for all eternity he, 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 without his love and grace. If you reject his love and grace for all eternity, he will give you what, he, what you want at the end of the day. And so when we are gripped by God's grace, we see people in that state. We want to offer them the grace of the gospel. We want to be like Jesus. We want to hold out our hand in grace, giving people every opportunity, every chance to hear about the good news of Jesus, even though you may get rejected. We want to share the good news with people. We want to share it with them, even though it may be difficult. No one likes to get rejected. It's not fun at all. But it is one of the most loving and caring things we can do is to share the gospel with someone. It's, it isn't being mean or rude or unloving. I've heard people think that it is, but it's not. It is actually one of the most loving things we can do. Now, I'm not alone on this. There are others that have opinions like this, and it's really interesting that an atheist thinks this. Someone who does not believe in God thinks this. Uh, this is what, uh, ever, anybody heard of Penn & Teller? 
<laughs> like, you're all cautious to raise your hand in church. Like, I don't know if I want to admit that. No, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, but no, Penn and Teller, I mean, I watch the show. It's, it's a very humorous comedy show. And it's in Las Vegas. And Penn Jillette, he's an atheist. And uh, he's an outspoken atheist. And he, uh, he has actually a video uh, blog uh, about a personal website about him uh, explaining how a man evangelized, gave him a Bible. And I think we can learn a lot from his very honest perspective on Christian evangelism. I'm going to read to you. It might shock you. But I'm going to read you the words of an atheist, what he thinks about Christians evangelizing. It's, it's fascinating, his take. At the end of the show, as I was mentioned before, we go out and we walk and talk to folks. You know, a sign, an occasional autograph, and shake hands, and so on. And there was this one guy waiting over to the side. He walked over to me and said, I was here last night at the show... And I saw the show, and I, I liked the show. He was very complimentary about my use of language, complimentary about honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. And then he said, he says, I brought this for you. And he handed me a Gideon Pocket Edition. I thought it said from the New Testament, but also Psalms is from the New Testament, right? Well, you know, <laughs> he's an atheist. He doesn't read the Bible. Give him a break, I guess. Little book, and he said... I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted uh, you to have this. I'm kind of proselytizing. And then he said, well, I'm, and then he went on to say, I'm a businessman. I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist, but he was not defensive. He looked me right in the eyes, and he was truly complimentary. It didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and he talked to me and he gave me this Bible. Now listen to this part. And I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is heaven and hell and that people could go to hell or not get eternal life or whatever and you think that... Well, it's not really worth telling, me, telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. This is what he says. How much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that, but that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I would just tackle you. And this is more important than that. So if, if you know somebody is not going to be with Jesus, they're rejecting it, and, and they're living a lifestyle in, in rebellion, and you don't share the gospel as many millennials think, I mean, is that really loving them? I mean, even from this atheist perspective, he says this is not loving people. If your mother is dying of cancer, and she is like into you know, weird Eastern medicine stuff, and she has a fascination with it, and every time you mention Western medicine and, and treatments, even though this is a cure for cancer, she will take no Western medicine. And you have the cure for cancer, and you know it works. There's studies that prove it works. And you know that telling her about this treatment would make her upset a little. Wouldn't you at least try and tell and try to persuade her to take these cancer-curing pills? Wouldn't you at least try? I think we would all try, because we care and we love others. So the heart of evangelism is love, and... It's, 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 for, it's for their very best. It's for caring. Love is, love is, is wanting the best for somebody. 
even if it is awkward, even if it's a difficult conversation. Now, when we evangelize, I want to be clear on this, don't tackle people. (laughs) But when we do evangelism, we are to be, as Jesus commands, we're to be as gentle as doves and as shrewd as serpents. Jesus says that when we evangelize. This is what Christ commands us to do. That's not, we should not be brutal, mean, nasty, or aggressive when we talk to people about Jesus. We should speak wisely and carefully and loving to people because that's how Jesus is. Jesus is careful, wise, and loving. And I have seen some street evangelists, if I'm being honest with you, have been pretty unwise in, in presenting the gospel. They have been openly rude and nasty to people. And then they tape their evangelistic conversations and they put it on YouTube and they get a lot of views. And I don't think that's the right way we're to go. I think we're to be as gentle as doves and as shrewd as serpents. We were sharing. And in, in, but I, I say all this, I say the gospel is to motivate us, and that is, that, that is true. And I say we're, we're to be careful when, when evangelizing, we're not to be reckless, mean, nasty, or rude, and defame the name of Christ. But I, I have to be honest with you, at the end of the day, no matter what I say, it is still hard to evangelize. It is still difficult, it's socially awkward, it's tough. But what helps me more than anything is that Jesus lived a life for me. And by the way, he was a lot, he, he did a lot for me and he was, he suffered a lot more than just being uncomfortable, didn't he? He took the infinite wrath of God in my place. I, we all have sinned against an infinite being and we deserve an infinite punishment. We have sinned against the greatest being and we deserve the greatest punishment. And Jesus took that punishment. He wasn't just uncomfortable. He took the wrath of God, eternal hell for us on the cross. He took that punishment and he screamed out, it was finished. Jesus did that for you and me. When I know that my Savior suffered so much for me, and He loves me so much, He loved me more than anybody, that helps me to get over my uncomfort that I have, or discomfort I have, rather, and it lets me share this beautiful gospel of grace that changes lives, blesses people, and frees people from religious slavery and bondage. So let's always be focused on Christ and His work, and we will, it will help us in our evangelism. Let us pray.